Once you open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 15, Romans chapter 15, every week around here you have an opportunity to submit some prayer requests, kind of on the, on the little side of your program you were handed, you can tear off that card, and every week those are, uh, a couple elders type them up, circulate them, pastors, elders, prayer team members, unless you mark confidential, then it just goes to the pastors, but I just kind of grabbed a sampling over the last few weeks of things that have showed up that we've been praying about. One person said, pray for a 30-year-old who had a massive heart attack and is now on life support. Another asked for prayer for healing for a baby's heart condition. Another said, pray for our fractured family, that we find our way back to God. Pray for my ongoing battle with chronic pain, another said, going through a why, how long, where are you, God? Another said, pray for my friend's addiction, for strength to overcome. And another asked for prayer for patience and wisdom at work. And there are probably dozens and dozens of prayer requests that never show up on the sheet or are left unspoken. I think you could broadly place the human experience in two seasons, broadly. We're either in seasons of suffering... Or seasons of relief. We could probably map all of us this morning out and in one of those two camps. We're in a season of suffering on some level. Or we're in a season of relief having just come out of a really tough time. And this morning I'd like to define hope as a confident expectation of brighter days ahead. That's why I'd like you to think of the word hope. A confident expectation of brighter days days ahead. In Romans 15, what we're going to look at this morning is the way, practically, God infuses our lives with hope. Does anybody need an infusion of hope this morning? Then practically, in Romans 15, and I'm indebted to John Piper and his insights on this text and his teachings, but practically there are four key steps in this passage that say, how does God impart hope to a person. And I found in my life that how I navigate seasons of relief play a big part in how I end up walking through seasons of suffering. So whether you're in a season of relief or in a season of suffering, to ground ourselves in the way God breathes hope into us. If you're in a season of relief, we practice these methods in relief, knowing that at some point it's going to get tough. And if you're in the middle of a really tough stretch, knowing that this is the hope that's promised to us. Okay, so four practical steps. Romans 15, we're going to begin reading in verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So the first step in how God imparts hope, how does he build hope into us, is that he awakens a belief in the God of hope, that there is a God who exists, and he exists as a God of hope. Do you see that in the first part of the verse? May the God of hope. You see, the substance of our belief that brighter days, a confident expectation of brighter days to come, is not circumstance-dependent. Okay, if it's dependent on the news feed through, right, rolling through the evening news or rolling through the feed on your phone for the latest everydayness of our world, that is not ground.
grounds for a confident expectation of brighter days ahead. Instead, as the people of God, we gather in the sanctuary of God, we open the word of God, lift our eyes up to the God who sits enthroned above all that's going on in this chaos and world. And we know what? We have reason to believe, confident to believe that there are brighter days ahead. How? Based upon the character of the God who gave us life and the Savior who gave us grace and the spirit he poured out on our lives. The confidence we can have to be a people of hope starts first and foremost with a vision of a God of hope. His character becomes the grounds for our joy, our peace, our love. That's where it becomes the God of hope. And then right on the heels of that, this God of hope speaks words of promise. That's the second step. So I want you to picture the Apostle Paul here. He's in Romans. He's about to pray that verse 13 into the church at Rome. A largely Gentile church. Non-Jewish church. So he's reaching up to the God of hope. May the God of hope. And he's thinking about how am I going to pray this hope into the church at Rome. And what does he reach for as he reaches up for that? Notice what it says in verse 9 and following. As it is written. You see that in your Bibles? As it is written. You might want to underline that. And then watch what he does. Verse 9, therefore I praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing hymns to your name. Quotation from Psalm 18. Verse 10, again it says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. Quotation from Deuteronomy 32. Verse 11, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and sing praises to him, all you peoples. Psalm 117. Verse 12, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule the nations. The Gentiles will hope in him. Isaiah 11. So you see, here's Paul. He's reaching up to the God of hope, and he wants to pray this hope into the church in Rome, a largely Gentile church. And what does he reach up for? He reaches up for quotations, two from Psalm, one from Deuteronomy, one from Isaiah. And he says, this God of hope speaks words of promise that give him a perspective from which he would pray and a grounds for his hope. You see, the word of God gives perspective of God from which we can pray and be grounded in the hope of God. You see that? That's why we've got to be people of the God-breathed book. So we're grounded and see, he's about to pray for this church in Rome, and he's reminded that the Messiah came not just for the Jews, which at that point in the storyline, there was a large argument going on within the churches. Maybe it was a Jewish-only thing. But here Paul's saying, no, God has said it in history, in Deuteronomy, in Isaiah, in the Psalms. This God of hope speaks words of promise, and it gives him a perspective from which to pray that hope into people. So step one for how God infuses our life with hope is he awakens a belief that there is a God, and he is a God of great hope. And step two is this God of hope speaks words of promise, which then rolls into step three. Stay with me now. Back to verse 13, he says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope. Underline this, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you see this now? The power of the Holy Spirit. So you've got this, the God of hope speaks words of promise in the power of the Spirit. Listen to how Piper put it. I put this quote in your notes. If you haven't fired up your app yet, you can pull out the note sheet in your app there as well. So hope that is based on Christ 
and has the glory of God for its hoped-for treasure is not the product of unaided human will. If you hope in Christ today and not in money and health and friends and joy and government, that hope is the work of the Holy Spirit. You did not create it. You follow that now? So if we're entering this Advent season and you could honestly say that you are placing, you are stockpiling your hope, not in the balance of your 401k, not in the health of your family, not in the trajectory of your career, not in your own smarts or in your own strength. If you could honestly say you are placing the grounds of your hope in this Messiah who came, that is a work of the Holy Spirit, not of your own wisdom, strength, efforts, and smarts. None. Because, here's what we know, the scripture says from Genesis 3 on, we're not, we're born with the propensity not to put our hope in God. You're born since Genesis 3, here's our propensity, we're born with a pull not to put hope in God, but to put hope in ourselves. We're born with a pattern that's kind of self-exalting, self-reliant, self-determination. If you want a summary for the human condition, those three phrases, self-exalting, self-reliant, self-determined. That's the essence of our fallenness and our humanity. We're born with that kind of rebellious attitude towards God that says, God, I don't need you. I've got this. Appreciate your counsel, but I've got this under control. I'm smart enough and strong enough to get through whatever it is I'm going through. I'm self-willed, self-exalted, self-determined. So Paul says in Romans 15, 13, if you get to the point where that human condition kind of bows and buckles under the supremacy of all that God is for us in Jesus, when you bow and buckle at that, do you know what that's a work of? That's the power of the Holy Spirit to move on a human heart. You cannot manufacture that yourself. And that's really hopeful when you think about it. That means it's not person dependent. Anybody else grateful for that? I'm grateful that the hope that God is offering us is not dependent on this frail human condition that I'm carrying. It's not dependent on what I bring to the table. This is a hope that stands independent of what a personhood brings. This is a hope that's given from beyond us and infused into us. That's why it's available to anyone. By the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you follow that? So this God of hope speaks words of promise by the power of the Spirit. You follow me now? Stay with me. We've got one more step and we're going to pull it all together here. Fourthly, look at the phrase in verse 13. As you trust in Him. Did you see that phrase in verse 13? Underline as you trust in him. So this God of hope speaks words of promise in the power of the spirit. And then fourthly, there's an entrustment of your life as you trust in him. So I want you to think with me. I want you to think about your human condition before Christ. Here's Simpson before he met Jesus. Here's my heart before I met Christ. It's hardened it's rebellious, it's not very interested in God, it's preoccupied with self, self-exalting, self-determined, self-reliant. My heart, before I met Christ. And in God's infinite mercy and grace, he sends 
words of promise to this hardened and rebellious and dead heart. The Bible says this is a dead heart spiritually. Because you know you can be physically alive but spiritually flatlined. That's actually the condition you're born into. That's why you actually need to be, the scripture calls, born again. Because you can be physically alive. I had a pulse in here, but my spiritual heart was flatlined. Dead, hardened, rebellious, dependent on self. But in God's infinite mercy and grace, he sent words of promise. He sent a man named Pastor Andy into my life. And, he, and Pastor Andy began to expose me to some things I've never been exposed to. He sent a wonderful family called the Hodges family into my life that began to invite me into a church service that I've really never experienced before. He handed some books. He had people hand some books to me. He had people give me my first Bible. This God of mercy and grace sent words of promise to this deadened heart. Now listen, every single one of us, we respond to those words of promise that are sent to us. One response is we can diffuse and deflect and reject. Deflect and reject is one response, right? The words of promise come is that, uh, uh, I just kind of shove it away. I call it giving the spiritual Heisman. You just kind of shove it away. And if you shove it away and your heart remains dead until the day you die, God says there is a place reserved in eternity for the sin-hardened dead heart. It's called hell. Hell is the eternal place where self-exalting, self-reliant, self-determined, self is king, I don't need God, I don't want God. The place reserved for that, it's called hell. And that's your eternal destiny if your heart remains dead. So that's why there's a lot on the line as God sends words of promise into our deadened heart. That we pray for open and receptive hearts. God's infinite mercy and grace, those words of promise breathed on by the Spirit through a friend, through Scripture, through church, through people's prayers, through all the things that were, comes to life, begins to live like Ezekiel's dry bones, Ezekiel 37. Just live like he said to Lazarus, come out of the tomb, arise, Lazarus, and this Lazarus begins to live. Ezekiel's dry bones begin to live. The sin-hardened, darkened, rebellious heart comes to life when the words of promise in the hands of the Spirit are received and brought to life. This is Bible term for what it means to be born again. The entrance into heaven is... Here's the entrance into heaven. You go from this to this with your heart. This is being born again. And you're involved in this transaction. Though it's initiated by God in His infinite grace, you can't do it on your own. You're a part of it because it's still your life. Your will is involved. As you trust in Him. You see that? Entrustment of your life. So stay with me now. Here's the conduit upon which this joy-giving, peace-giving, hope-giving power flows. The conduit is the entrustment of our lives. The conduit of God's word of promise and the power of the Spirit coming to breathe life. The conduit upon which that flows is there is an entrustment of our lives. Another way to say it is here's evidence that your heart has come to life spiritually. 
that you take these words of promise that have been given to you and they shine a spotlight on the beauty and the majesty of all that God is for us in Jesus and you begin to increasingly believe in Him, trust in Him, have confidence in Him, place your faith in Him. When you do that, hope comes to life. So the God of hope sends words of promise by the power of the Spirit, and as you entrust your life, you come to life, arise, live. And the way you know you've lived is when you pick up this God-breathed book, or you gather in settings like this, or you gather with your life group, or in your prayer closet on your own, and you open this book, and these words of promise shine spotlight on the greatness and the glory and the supremacy of all that God is for us in Jesus, and in your heart, you say yes. And amen. I believe you. I trust you. I worship you. I serve you. I bow down to you. That's a heart that's alive. Are you following me? That's what it means to go from being spiritually dead to spiritually alive. Here's the conduit. And then hope comes as a byproduct of that transaction. That's why the people of Jesus, we ought to be the most hope filled people on the planet because we have a hope living inside of us by the power of the Spirit that is not dependent on the circumstances we're immersed in in seasons of suffering or in seasons of release. This God of hope sends words of promise by the power of the Spirit which spawn an entrustment of your life and that's the conduit upon which joy and peace and hope flow and say live in Jesus' name. Live. So it was, uh, I think it was the week of Thanksgiving when uh, Sandy Carmen called me, the Carmen family. You guys know Christian and Sandy. Are you guys here, Carmen family? Where are you? Sandy, can you stand up? Christian and Sandy right here. They're family. Here's a picture of the rest of the crew. There's one of their sons, Ian Good. He's a 21-year-old senior at DePaul University. Ian, are you here today? Is Ian not here? No, he's probably in the studies and in the books. But there's his last game at DePaul University. They beat their arch rival Wabash for the first time in many years. I'm sure when he's laying there catching that touchdown pass, pointing up a great relief for him. That's why the smiles post-game. If you notice, like in a football game, family pictures, you don't really have to ask if they won or lost. You can actually tell in the post-game pics uh, how it went. Um, so it was Thanksgiving week. Sandy called and said, hey, a few weeks ago, Ian was lifting weights and felt something shift kind of awkwardly in his left shoulder. And he kind of, like most football players do, dish it off, chit-chat with the trainers a little bit, but basically ibuprofen, keep lifting, keep playing, because you don't want to be a distraction, and you want to kind of gut it out and be a tough guy. And Ian is a tough guy, super smart, super skilled, great player, great person. But he just kind of just kept going. But what happened is, they got closer to Thanksgiving week, the blood vessels in the upper part of his arm began to swell up. And so finally spawned into some tests and MRIs, and the doctors determined that he had a vein in the upper part of that arm shoulder area that was pinched off by two ribs. So two ribs had kind of collapsed together, pinching off the blood supply of the vein. The blood began to back up in that vein and force, form some blood clots. Obviously a lot of alarms around these things when it's near the heart and keep blood supply and all that. So Thanksgiving Day, how about that? Happy Thanksgiving, right, for the Carmen family. Thanksgiving Day, they go to the hospital, and it's kind of a, they get this lay of the land and say, hey, you're going to be here for 24 hours in ICU. Step one is this. 
Ian's going to lay pretty still in ICU and have some medication dripped into him to break up those clots because we need to get the clots broken up. And then step two is we need to remove one of the ribs to take the pressure off that vein and open up the blood supply. So Sandy calls. We network around a bunch of you who've been praying, probably hundreds, no one rest, probably thousands, right, Carmen? Probably thousands of people praying for Ian and all the steps involved with this. I had a good conversation with Ian. We had a good prayer on the phone. Just really appreciated his kind of quiet strength in the Lord. He said, I trust God with whatever these steps are. And certainly not how they had envisioned their Thanksgiving week in his senior year. And he's planning a, you know, an overseas kind of a cross-cultural study deal in January. So all these things, right? And, um, so there, there he is, check in the hospital. An hour and a half into their Thanksgiving Day procedure, the doctor comes back into the room and says, basically, hey, Ian, uh, you can get dressed, get your clothes on, we're done here, you can go home. They're like, so come over here and look at the screen. I know you can't see it right there on the screen, but that's actually a picture of the screen that the doctor showed the family. And he said, here's what's happened inside Ian's body that the body has regrown and rerouted a very large and healthy vein around the vein that was stopped up from the pressure. And his statement, I think, to the family was something along the lines of, I haven't quite seen one this large before, grow like this before. So he said, hey, this vein's really doing a really good job, so we're going to obviously monitor it, but get dressed, go home, you're going to be fine. Now, church, we all know who's in charge of rerouting and regrowing veins. In here, we could put words that maybe not exactly in the medical office are always put to it, but we know who's in charge of that, right? That the God of hope speaks words of promise by the power of the Spirit and the Carmen family and Ian, the entrustment of their life to say, God, we trust you in it. That in God's infinite mercy and grace, here's what he decided for Ian Good on Thanksgiving Day. Ian, I'm going to walk you up to the operating table, but you're going to walk away from it. Sometimes, seasons of suffering and seasons of relief run in a seven-day cycle. In a one-week period of time, if you would interact with the Carmen family, you would have heard suffering and relief with literally within 72 hours. And other times, it's years, if not decades. But here's, here, here's what we hold on to. Whether it's days or it's decades, whether your seasons of suffering are going in the span of hours or crisscross over years, all the way to the end to this one and only life, the Apostle Paul had an awful lot of extended seasons of suffering. Paul's seasons of relief would be in days, his seasons of suffering would be in the category of years. And yet he's the one who offers from his pen these words. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. So that what you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. How does that happen? Because he lifted up his eyes to see there's a God of hope who speaks words of promise by the power of the Spirit, calls forth an entrustment of a life to which that life can live, arise and live. And then we rejoice together when we hear stories like Ian Good's story, that God does hear our cries for help. And we rejoice how it builds our faith and builds our trust and builds our confidence and builds our hope.
that if God heard us there, he can hear us right now, right here. So Hunter's going to come, and he's going to lead a song here. He wrote this song, actually, for the Christmas season. Here's what I'd like to do as he leads. I want him to sing the song, and then in the midst of the song, um, I'd like to just kind of have a response just give some space here, because I know that in the midst of this time of year, right, Advent season, this could be the toughest Advent season you've ever walked through in your life, and for some of you, that's exactly where you are. Some of you have lost someone that you love dearly, and this is your first Advent without him or her or them. And God wants you to know today that there is a God of hope who can speak today words of promise by the power of the Spirit that can breathe in the trustment of a life that you can leave overflowing with hope today. It's not dependent upon us. And there are others of you just kind of carrying some weight of things going on at work, at home, with your own bodies breaking down, or everything in between. So as Hunter leads through this song, we're just going to open up the front. And you just come as you feel like. Come by yourself, come as a family unit. Come just to simply say, hey, I believe in you, O oh God of hope. And I believe you speak words of promise I desperately need to hear from you. And I believe by the power of the Spirit you can breathe life, hope overflowing in me today. And you come as an act of entrustment of your life. That's the act of coming and healing and saying, I entrust my life. And then we just lay it all before him. He's the source of hope and joy and love and peace. So we come and we can trust him.